1: with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash cash. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Black Buffalo products are intended for adults age 21 and older who are consumers of nicotine or tobacco. If you're an adult age 21 and older, around the country. Black Buffalo Tobacco Alternative. Bold flavor, full pouches. What's up, everybody? John Middlecoff, Three and Out Podcast. Back at it again. Really big show. I I mean, a lot going on. Just finished watching this Monday night game. Uh, debacle by Minnesota we'll we'll dive right into that Uh, some thoughts on Seattle so much going on this weekend Uh, just from Amari Cooper to the Sunday night game with Goff and Trubisky and the Bears to Mahomes crushing it to Brady showing signs of age Reggie McKenzie officially got fired uh, even though he was kind of unofficially fired the moment Gruden got hired so got a really big show But, but before we dive in to the Monday night game. Got a couple quick things. One, uh, I owe a quick apology. Someone reached out, a former military vet, uh, and and I just want to get something, make sure it's very clear. that I said last week there were no college football games this weekend, and I had completely forgotten about Army-Navy. I wasn't trying to take a shot at the game. First off, this show is 100% pro-military. Every member of my family from my from my dad to my grandparents, have fought in world wars. Uh, My dad's brother died in Vietnam. So this is, I mean, to our core, a military show. (laughs) I I couldn't be any more pro-military. I've also been to that game when I lived in Philly. It is an incredible experience. And I highly recommend if anyone, if you enjoy Philadelphia, uh, well, the game changes, but if you enjoy football, If you enjoy America, it is as powerful of an event as I've ever been to and want to make this clear. And listen, I'm usually when people reach out and say they're mad about something, I usually don't pay much attention to it. Uh, But this one, I was offended for the offended because I was not trying to take a shot. And that game and just the military, the branches of the military. I mean, that's under no place, you know, during the season, do you watch a football game? where two teams and every player on the field has more at stake just in their lives. Uh, I mean, what they have given up, you know, just to be there. And I worked for Rich Ellerson, who was the head coach at Army, when I have got my start at Cal Poly, uh, new guys on that staff. And so I have nothing but admiration for everyone that plays in that game and just that game in general. It's, again, I, I can't recommend it high enough. Also, everyone knows about the risk of drunk driving. You get in a crash, people get hurt or killed. But that still doesn't stop everyone. You can get arrested. You can incur huge legal expenses and possibly even lose your job. We all know the consequences of driving drunk. But one thing's for sure. You're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober drive sober, or get pulled over. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Let's dive into this game. Because uh, two things really stood out to me. One, Kirk Cousins just isn't that good. You know, he's just not good enough. And I said it last year when the 49ers were lucky enough to have Bill Belichick gift them Jimmy Garoppolo because they were prepared and Kyle Shanahan was in love with Kirk Cousins. And I know Jimmy Garoppolo tore his ACL and the Niners have been god awful. But I'll tell you this. I take Jimmy Garoppolo coming off an ACL injury any day of the week, twice on Sundays, and seven times on a Monday night game over Kirk Cousins. He's just not good enough. He doesn't pull the trigger fast enough. His arm's not good enough. He's just not a good enough player. He's not bad, but he's not good enough. And and you saw it tonight. Uh, Every play, he's a step late. Uh, Second short. You know, the guy gets open, and he's looking the other way. He's just not crisp. He's just not... Everything about his game is just not on point enough in the biggest moments. And you watch his game against Seattle, where there's not much margin for error. The place is going... Just absolutely bonkers. You can't hear. You got to be locked in, and, and you can't be off. And at the end of the day, I know they're crushing John D. Filippo. Uh, th- there were players open. I mean, Adam Thielen, as he's going over to Kirk Cousins, was telling him, "I'm wide open on the play that Cousins. He didn't airmail it, but he just he threw it to uh, the tight end, and it was just late. And Thielen's over there on the sideline, like, bro, what are you looking at? Come on. He and so you can crush the play calling all you want. All I know is this. When plays are called in critical situations, dues are open, and he's a step slow. It consistently has happened now from Washington to now. And I had a buddy in the league text me, who'd you take, Cousins or, or Case? And I jokingly said Case, even though and then I said neither. Uh, but I know this, for $84 million, that's not good enough. Every penny guaranteed, it's just that simple. He's not good enough. Now, I'm pro-capitalism, and I'm pro-getting-your-money, And I, I'm not going to hate on him for signing the contract or being aggressive to get all the contract guaranteed. His agent did a great job and they played the system perfectly. He actually turned down some money. The Jets offered more to go there. So, but at the end of the day in the NFL, if you allocate those resources to one player, and if you're going to pay a guy that much, unless their name's Khalil Mack or Donald, it's going to be a quarterback. And that's not good enough. It's just, it's just that simple. On a, on a team with those type weapons guys getting open consistently it's it just not now on the flip side I'll say this Russell Wilson's line he was 10 for 20 for 72 yards but it didn't matter because you just you just watched the game and Russell was I mean off and Vikings defense was playing great and you just go man these two quarterbacks are playing a different sport and again Russell was not good here's the other thing Pete Carroll deserves a hat tip because this season was about culture, was about no one believing in them, was about going all in on Russell Wilson when L.O.B. and the Legion of Boom, who Booger McFarland thought was the entire defense, it's only the secondary. Uh, it does not include Bobby Wagner. He's not in the Legion of Boom, even though the Legion of Boom is no longer even together. But the Legion of Boom was four or five guys. It was five. I mean, it was Byron Maxwell, Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, and, uh, I forget Lane's first name, but it was those five dudes. That was the Legion of Boom. Not Bobby Wagner, not K.J. Wright, not, you know, uh, Bennett, not Cliff Averill, not Brandon Mebane, not Bruce Irvin. It was the secondary. God, the Monday Night Crew was just an atrocious train wreck. But not going off on a tangent here. But one, one thing that is not a train wreck, and that's the Seattle Seahawks. Again, an, an absolute culture season for them. They have not skipped a beat. They're going to make the playoffs, you know, for what, the fifth time in six years? uh, Or maybe it might be the sixth time in seven years. Just an incredible accomplishment for Pete. I mean, he's established himself as the clear number two coach in the NFL. A lot of people thought he was, you know, I don't know if over the hill is the right word, but nowhere in in his prime anymore as a coach, and he shut everyone up because that team hits people in the mouth. They play defense, they can really run the ball, and they got Russell Wilson. And if I'm the Bears, or if I'm the Dallas Cowboys, I try like hell to get that number three seed. Because I'd want no, especially the Bears. You don't want to be the four seed. And the one team, like Carolina, this Minnesota team, the Packers, the Eagles, you know, none of those teams scare you. But I want no part of Dallas coming into Chicago. Because one thing, they translate on the road. Because they can play defense. They're one of the few West Coast teams... They are the one West Coast team that can handle the elements because they're used to playing and practicing it on a West Coast version. And they've won. You know, Russell Wilson's one playoff games. Bobby Wagner's one playoff games. Pete Carroll has won playoff games. So they deserve a massive hat tip. Everyone wrote them off, and rightfully so. And they haven't just answered the bell. They've knocked the freaking bell down. Okay, let's get into my, my main man, Amari Cooper, who is... Just absolutely crushing it for the Dallas Cowboys and is one of the great, might be the greatest in-season trade we've ever seen. Without Amari Cooper, the Dallas Cowboys, I don't even think this is a subjective take, we're not gonna make the playoffs. With Amari Cooper, they basically unofficially just won the division yesterday, or two days ago, if you're listening to this on Tuesday, and are headed to the playoffs. Like it was just an insane crazy turn of events and there's so many angles on this and and I really think this one's pretty simple Amari Cooper and I, I this happens to a lot of people I'm a big believer in the broken window theory and anyone that's followed economics uh knows what the broken window theory cliff note version like if you live in an area where there's a broken window or you know back in the day when the New York subway was just it was graffiti and there's just graffiti other people are just going to add to the graffiti, and eventually, just graffiti's everywhere. Broken window. One broken window. In a bad community, that broken window leads to like 10 broken windows, and you just got crap everywhere. Same thing works in any office. We've all been in dysfunctional, you know, in some sort of business or office situation that made us uncomfortable, and we're around low-level people, and we didn't get the most out of ourselves. We just kind of you know it's 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 human nature to to play down like on the on the field and just as a you know an individual working for a company to not be at your highest level of productivity when you're around other people that are not on your level that are screwing around that are bad at their jobs that is just when you're in a dysfunctional place it's easy to become dysfunctional that doesn't necessarily mean you are a dysfunctional human i've seen amari cooper where the standards and excellence is the highest, right, in Alabama. And he thrived. He is easily one of the best players to come out of Alabama during Nick Saban's tenure. And that's saying something. They have produced a ton of elite players. But one thing is clear now. Amari Cooper, when he is in a healthy environment, he was at Alabama. And then when he first got to the Raiders, Del Rio had just been hired and had these grand proclamations and ideas. They, they changed the practice field. They added a sauna. They added food. They expanded the weight room. Like, they were becoming more modernized. The first couple years, the Raiders actually weren't that dysfunctional. They, they were pretty normal. And Amari thrived. Went to back-to-back Pro Bowls. Though he probably shouldn't have been in Pro Bowl as a rookie. He was a very, very good rookie player. His second year, he was even better. It looked like this dude was on the fast track to the Hall of Fame. And then for a year and a half, last year, the Raiders were a disaster. This year, dysfunction, dysfunction, dysfunction. The head coach traded the best player the franchise had had in 20 years, the week before the season started. How could Amari Cooper think the coach believed in him when he openly talked that how he believed in everyone, but he was trading and cutting guys on the side? Amari's no idiot. He's seen the highest levels of football. He knows this isn't normal. So he regressed. In the environment of regression. And then he went to Dallas, where the lights couldn't have been brighter. The number one brand, not the number one team, but the number one brand in the number one league in America. The lights, you play in prime time, you have the most people watching, you have the most people attending an NFL game because a place fits like a hundred thousand people. And he has dominated. He he's more than answered the bell. Again, he took the most famous franchise. That was headed not for the playoffs. And he's got there and he's kicked ass and taken names. I watched back, I actually just watched for the first time this morning, the Cowboy-Eagle game. His fourth quarter was like Antonio Brown level dominance. And again, I supported Jerry Jones when he made the trade. Amari Cooper was a 24-year-old. That who in stable environments has proven that he is not just a good player, an elite player. He's not Johnny come overachiever. He didn't go to Cal Poly and somehow work his way to a third rounder who then became a pro bowler in the NFL. He's been a blue chipper from day one. Saban offered him a scholarship. He got there and he played as a true freshman. He kicked ass for three years. He showed up to the NFL and kicked ass. And then all of a sudden, Jack Del Rio and John Gruden kind of screwed him up. Jerry Jones did the right thing. He bet against those guys. And he quote unquote overpaid. Did he overpay? They're going, to be, they're going to have a first round in the wild card round, a home game. The, the Cowboys are going to be favored to win that game. They're clearly going to be really hard to beat in Dallas. So more than likely, they're going to win a playoff game, probably lose in the second round. But that means their pick's going to be 25, 26, somewhere in there, 24. Guess what? They wouldn't get a player that would sniff Amari Cooper at that value. So they made the right choice. Do you know what Amari Cooper is now? To me, he's more extendable than Dak Prescott. I would feel more comfortable giving Dak or Amari, you know, Brandon Cook's contract, $55 million or whatever, than I would giving Dak Prescott quarterback money. I would extend Amari Cooper this summer. I would not extend Dak Prescott. That t- like, one thing's clear when you watch the Cowboys. Zeke and Amari, elite players. Dak, not quite sure on, and I think Dak's fine. But they got two blue chippers beside the offensive linemen that have been in and out of the games, obviously but from a skill position and it ain't the quarterback and Amari has changed Dak because Dak is, he actually is pretty calm, cool and collected in the big moments. But, but one thing is just abundantly clear when Amari is around a stable environment where people believe in him, he will kick your ass when he's in dysfunction and a team that's going nowhere fast. He can get derailed. Guess what? Like any of us can. I, we saw the same thing, and I wouldn't put, here's the other thing with Amari. There were no questions about him off the field. It's not like, you know what, he's, hes you know, he, he doesn't listen to the coaches, he's not a hard worker, he won't show up to practice, he's out at night getting drunk. Like, there were none of these knocks on Amari. Like, we've seen of countless players over the year that got traded. It was just, you know what, he's not playing well. Well, it turns out the whole team doesn't play well. They suck. The Raiders are going to draft first or second overall. Guess what the Cowboys are going to do? They're probably going to win a playoff game. That's where Amari does his best work, around winners. He doesn't thrive around losers. Most of us don't. Like, you put anyone that's capable of anything. You don't even need to have Amari's talent. You're just around higher-level people. You operate at a higher level. I mean, it's just pretty basic human actions. And right now, he's around people that have a playoff standard, that believe in each other, and that just care. Like Gruden, it was obvious Gruden didn't care about anyone in the building. He would trade or cut anyone at any moment's notice. And Amari sniffed. He was human. Amari got that. He could see the writing on the wall. It didn't matter what Gruden actually said. He knew he didn't believe in him. And Jerry did. And Jerry proved it with his actions, given a first-round pick. And Amari has tripled down on that investment. He said, Jerry... I'm making you look like a genius. I'm making you look like are you the executive of the year? Probably go to Ryan Pace, who also traded for a Raider of the Chicago Bears. But goddamn, Jerry, hat tip to you. Okay, let's get into the the game of the weekend, or my, my favorite game of uh, of Sunday was the night game. I mean, it's so cool to watch a a big game in Chicago. It's always eye opening to watch a frigid cold game. And my number one takeaway on the game was, listen, I'm born and raised in California. Spent 34 years old, 32 of my years of life in Northern California, either in Davis, the Bay Area, Fresno, or San Luis Obispo. So, I mean, the coldest place I ever lived was, I mean, Davis was probably a little colder in the Bay, actually. Fresno was not cold at all, and San Luis wasn't cold either. But when I lived in Philly for two years... The living in cold, and like, I, I, when I go to the snow, I drive to Lake Tahoe. <laughs> like, it, it doesn't snow where I live. So, until you live in the snow and live in frigid conditions, there is zero way to get used to it. It's why we're just a little softer out here. Our weather's softer. If you live in the Midwest or the Northeast, like, you were just used to harsh winters. It kind of defines who you are. And if I hadn't lived in it, I wouldn't really be able to speak on it. But I could relate... Jared Goff grew up in Marin County. It's on the other side of the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, it gets chilly when you say chilly, like 55 degrees and fog. It doesn't snow. It's not frigid sleep winters. And then he went to Cal, and then now he plays for the LA Rams. He's never played in frigid conditions. And whenever they have to play in these conditions, and they won't this year, like that that game on Sunday night has zero implications on the playoffs because the LA Rams will not have to go to Chicago and play a game. Now, big picture, one day Jared Goff, for the Rams to become a dynasty or consistently good team, are going to have to go on the road and win playoff games in the cold. Philly, Chicago, Green Bay, like there are teams, New York, they are, hell, maybe go on the road to Seattle in a position where you just have to win a inclement weather game. And I don't think he can do it. But this year, it doesn't matter because he's playing home games either in LA or he has to go to the road to New Orleans, which would be a very tough environment, but the weather doesn't play a factor. But it's going to be something to keep an eye on. When his sophomore year, he got benched in a game up in Oregon because he could not grip the ball in a driving rainstorm. So he is not a good bad weather quarterback. How would he be? He's never played in it. Like Tom Brady has been kicking ass in the frigid temperatures since college, he's a California guy. But he spent now the majority of his life either in Ann Arbor or New England. So he's used to it. And you get, I wasn't in Philly long enough, I guess, to get acclimated. I guess you learn to live with it a little bit. But I by no means ever felt comfortable. And people I worked with that were from the Northeast were not as phased. I was very phased. It was really in my head. And it was clearly in the Rams' head. It was in Jared Goff's head, which who's just not used to the cold weather. It was in Todd Gurley's head, who again, not used to the cold weather from Georgia, you know, that now played in L.A. He doesn't play cold weather games. Robert Woods, Sarah High School guy in Los Angeles, went to USC, sucked in Buffalo, hated the weather, came back to L.A., resurrected his career, looked terrible last night. These guys, like, you could feel it. It changes the offense. It really does. So, like, these spread it out offenses. And the other thing is we always talk about, like, if that had been the Bears versus the Giants, we'd be like, oh, the Giants' offense just sucks. It's crazy the power of perception because it was the number one offense or top two offense. They go into that weather and we go, God, what a great defensive performance. It really is crazy, the the difference of perception. Like, Jared Goff was just awful. He was just horrendous. Now, again, big picture, this year, it doesn't matter because he will not play in that weather. But it's not going to look different. Like, the only way he's ever going to improve through it is through experience like Peyton Manning the older he got was a little more comfortable in in bad weather games but he never was great in bad weather games why why would he be plays in a dome grew up in the south played at Tennessee like he just never played in them. Tom Brady has no choice but to be Joe Flacco even Eli Aaron Rodgers Brett Favre you just get used to playing in that you 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 even if you practice in a dome you drive to work in the cold You know, you walk outside to go to your car in the cold. You just live in the cold. You know what Todd Gurley's doing right now? If you're listening on Tuesday on his day off, I don't know, chilling by the pool, probably 75 degrees where he's at. It's a beautiful day in Los Angeles. So I I just don't know what else to say besides that. The other thing with the Bears, for as dominant as they looked, if you told me that the Super Bowl went through Chicago and they were the one seed, I'd say watch the you-know-what out. But the reality is it doesn't. So my takeaway from that game is I feel pretty confident the Bears will win a first-round home game unless Trubisky throws five picks, which is not inconceivable. But I I don't see how they go on the road. They they won't beat New Orleans because you're not going into that dome even with that defense where the weather doesn't factor in and beating them. And I think they would struggle to go on the road in L.A. just because Goff would be much more comfortable in the weather. So that game... An indictment on golf a little bit and a a, just uh, a good, you know, overall performance for sure. I mean, it was an impressive ass kicking. And if they had home games and they were the one seed, I'd say, God, I don't see who's going to go into Chicago and beat them. But that ain't the case. Chicago, more than likely to get to the Super Bowl, would have to win two road games. You know, win the first round at home then go on the road to New Orleans, then go or go on the road to L.A., and then probably go on the road. And depending on what seed they were, let's say they were the four seed, even if Dallas were to upset L.A. or New Orleans, they would then have to go to Dallas for the NFC Championship game. So they're more than, like, it sure feels like 95%, their best-case scenario, they're only getting one home game. So while the game was fun, I thought Collinsworth said it best. It's kind of a one-off. Like, the, the overall reactions, and we love to... You know, have hot takes and stuff on one game, and that's the nature of football. But that game, like that, like the takeaway, Dallas Philly. There's a takeaway on that because Dallas is playing in domes. They're gonna play in good weather. Like their game's gonna translate to. They've already beat New Orleans, even though it'd be much difficult to go to New Orleans, and they could beat LA. Like my takeaway is Jared Goff wouldn't look like that at the Coliseum, even against the Bears' defense. It's just it'd be different. Though I think it is somewhat of an indictment on his limited skill set in cold weather games. But again, that has zero impact on 2018. Okay, before we get into the greatness, and I I repeat the greatness, just the eye-opening ability of Patrick Mahomes, I want to tell you about my friends at Robinhood. Robinhood is an investing app that lets you buy and sell stocks, ETFs, options, and cryptos, all commission-free. I know I got a lot of smart listeners. I know we're all looking to make money. They strive to make financial services work for everyone, not just the wealthy, not intimidating way for stock market newcomers. We've all been there, try to find a brokerage firm to wheel and deal online. I'm telling you, I play stocks and right now there are a lot of good buys because a lot of major stocks are way down and stock market, like in real estate, the two places when things go on sale, people run, the smart people actually go to buy and they're just a ton of good buys and the way to do it right now is Robinhood and again, the best The best reason to use Robinhood and download the app, zero commission fees, none. Anyone that's day traded or just made trades on the side on their own know that commission fees are always where they get you. The design and it's very easy to use charts and market data. You learn by doing, it's a a motto that us Cal Poly grads live by, Uh, learn how to invest and build your own portfolio, discover new stocks and track your favorite companies with personalized news feeds. Again, Robinhood is giving my listeners a free stock like Apple, Ford, Sprint to help you build up your full portfolio. Sign up at M-I-D-D-L-E-K-A-U-F, just one F, middlecoff.robinhood.com. That's middlecoff, dot frobinhoodcom Well, my big takeaway is Besides, listen, I'm not gonna kick Lamar Jackson while he's down. Uh, I'm not gonna say I told you so, but I told you so. It, what he does is not a sustainable way to play NFL quarterback. Though I, he's a great kid. Everything I've heard, I, I, I root. Even if you're not good, if you're a high character guy, I, I'm not gonna just root for you to fail. You know, it's when I think bad players are bad character guys, then I root, and then I don't mind when they fail. But I'm not rooting for Lamar Jackson to fail. I want to see him have success. Just the way they're playing is not a sustainable way to play. Friend of the program, I saw Jeff Schwartz was tweeting about former NFL offensive lineman crushing in the media, was saying that, listener of this podcast, was saying that the, the Baltimore Ravens, it was kind of a perfect storm. Their last several games with Lamar Jackson and even moving forward. I forget who they played this week, but it was someone with a bad, It just played a bunch of bad Run defenses, so of course he's going to thrive. He runs the ball, it feels like every other play. I mean, they run the option. Well, the guy on the other side, I had a casual conversation with a friend, uh, my doctor, who's also my friend. I saw him at the gym on, I guess, when would that have been? Sunday morning. And big sports guy has been, you know, has worked in pro sports, has been the, the doctor for many pro sports teams here in the Bay Area. And he was just, he's like... Do you think there's a chance? And and when he said this, I didn't even think he was that crazy. Mahomes gonna be the best quarterback ever. Because he was like, God, I watched him last week against the Raiders. They weren't even playing that well. And he was just doing things that were just remarkable. I mean, just remarkable. His like Farvian, just kind of outside the framework of the play, accuracy on running around and making these throws from different platforms, throwing the ball, is like Aaron Rodgers, just stupid. But he has... Arguably the strongest arm we've ever seen. He made one throw yesterday. I think it was fourth and nine throwback. I mean, it was somewhat lucky. But one of the reasons like Rodgers, Favre, Mahomes now, I, it's hard to call some of the stuff they do luck. Their their skill level and their arm talent is so elite that it's it'd be lucky for some guys, but I don't know if that's really that lucky. You know, I, I watched Mahomes make some throws yesterday. The no-looker, another throw on the run. That it's like his skill set is just more immense than everyone else. Like, when Steph Curry hits a 40-foot three-point shot, is that lucky? Or is his range just by far longer than everyone else in the history of basketball? I think it's the latter. Like, he's just got bigger range. Like, Mahomes can just do things that other people can't. So when I had the conversation with my doctor at the gym, humble brag, grinding on a Sunday morning, that... It's not crazy that his skill set, again, they're, to sustain stuff at the NFL, I, I get why people, it drives old school people nuts, like the hyperbole, the overreaction. I get it, and that's fair. But what he does translates. Like what Lamar Jackson does does not translate. Eventually, you have to throw dimes in the intermediate and deep passing game from the pocket. Mahomes dominates from the pocket. And then outside the pocket, something that you have to be able to do too, right? When the play breaks down, not running the ball, but running the ball outside of the pocket, keeping the play alive behind the line of scrimmage and throwing the football might be his greatest attribute. Throwing to his right, he's just elite. And running to his left, he's not that bad. He showed his instincts of like throwing with his left hand or throwing a crazy pass with his right hand. He can pull it off. Now He's thrown a couple picks. Uh, I, I think he's all but solidified himself, Uh, I I guess it's close, him and Breeze, but I I think he's going to end up winning the MVP. I mean, they're going to be the number one seed. It was his first year starting, and I'd have no problem if they split it because when I rethink of this season, to me, I think Mahomes and the Saints offense. Uh, That's what the first thing. Like, I, I think that I would have no problem if they went McNair and Manning splitting this thing. But I, I really don't know what to say about Mahomes. He's just one of those rare players, and I felt this way watching Steph Curry like five or six years ago, that he's just jaw-dropping. It is just fun to watch. And I got I got a lot of Raiders people that follow me, Raiders fans on social media, and I get a lot of this. Like, it sucks he plays for the Chiefs because he's hard not to root for. He's very fun to watch. And I don't care who you're a fan of. When Mahomes is on, can't. you just can't take your eyes off him. And luckily, when the second podcast of this week comes out on Friday, it'll be talking about Mahomes versus Rivers. What a great Thursday night game. I think it's the last Thursday night game of the year. Can't wait for it. And just what a season this freaking kid has had. He's just been fantastic. What a great year for, for Coach Reed and just the Chiefs. Uh, obviously, the Kareem Hunt thing's not great. But for them, just keep rattling off wins when they get rid of them. Now, I do think that that kind of hole on their roster I know they got some production out of the Williams kid yesterday. Even Ware had a nice catch. It's going to be hard. I mean, Kareem Hunt was so much better than everyone they had. It's not even funny. But getting the one seed as a first-year starter on a team with a terrible defense, uh, th- that should be applauded. It has just been a elite season from Patrick Mahomes. I am a what you would call a Tom Brady truther. Uh, I'm from the Bay Area, Northern California. My, my family and, and most people I was around growing up were huge Niner fans. I mean, they were on one. I was born in 84, so they'd already won two Super Bowls. My brother's middle name was Joseph, after Joe Montana. Uh, like most people in Northern California, I was just surrounded by a lot of diehard Montana people. Now, I didn't get to see much of Montana. I was more of a Steve Young guy. I was really just more of an NFL guy, LaFarve, uh, like just sweet players. I've always been like that. But I understood the argument for Joe Montana, Joe Cool, and it was impossible to tell that generation that witnessed Montana that anyone was better than him. Though, even they've had to uh, tap out of the argument and admit Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. And even in his old age, he's kicked ass, take names, and, I mean, last year threw 500-plus yards in the Super Bowl. Well, I'm watching the game uh, against the Miami Dolphins, and it was actually on red zone a lot because it was a high-scoring game. I didn't get the game, but it came in on my TV, in and out, obviously, the first half. But at the end of the first half in that game, Tom Brady made one of the biggest mistakes I've ever seen him make by a pretty wide margin. The only worst mistake I've seen to end a half was the mistake tonight by Russell Wilson when he, when he threw the pick. But for the first time, he made a couple plays in that game. And I I would imagine Patriot fans, if you can take your emotion away a little bit, have noticed glimpses during this season that you go, now listen, the knock on Brady has always been, if you hit him, you know, he gets uncomfortable. And that's pretty natural for most quarterbacks. And I don't think that's even a crazy thing to say. No human, even in boxing, in UFC, or in football, likes to be hit. Maybe if you're like a guard, you like contact. But no one else likes contact. But Brady now, and there was a play, he took a terrible sack, no timeouts for those that weren't watching the game. In the first half, they were on like the five-yard line, 15 seconds left, no timeouts, not ideal game management by Belichick, but I'm kidding. Brady can't take a sack there, took a sack, and it cost him three points. Then in the end of the game, before the Miami miracle happened, they had a wide-open dude. It might have been Hogan, might have been Edelman, in the back of the end zone. Now, Brady was feeling some pressure, but now the moment he feels pressure, he just hits the ground, and he's kind of always done that. So I, I get people could argue back, like, that's Tom Brady. Yeah, I think he's he wants no part of getting touched. And he saw the guy out of the corner of his eye, and I get at his age, he's really trying to preserve. But in that moment, end of the game, a touchdown seals the win. I mean, the game would have been over. And he air mails the ball. Then they kick the field goal, and obviously the Miami miracle happens. Which, at the end of the day, is on Belichick for having Gronk in there. But this segment is about, and my topic here is about Brady. For the first time in my life, and again, I am a Brady truther. I think he is on the Mount Rushmore of athletes in my lifetime. Which, the Mount Rushmore of top athletes would be pretty simple. It would be led by Michael Jordan. It would then be probably Tiger Woods... Uh, biased here, Barry Bonds, Tom Brady. Those would be my four in my lifetime. Uh, And if you wanted to throw in hockey, you could probably go like Wayne Gretzky or or Yager, one of those two. But I'm not a huge hockey guy. But my point is that those four guys, I think LeBron would have an argument just for his impact, but I'd go Michael, Tiger, Barry Bonds, again, biased. You you could easily go Jeter or, or you know, I Pedro Mar. You could think of a baseball guy, but football to me, it's a no-brainer. The only other argument would probably be Peyton Manning. Uh, And I think he's probably had a bigger impact culturally. Like, obviously, he plays a huge role in these commercials. Tom does a little less, but he's the greatest quarterback ever. He's showing signs. It's not even really disputable. And I I just, I think he's slipping a little. Now, at the end of the day, what does that mean? Their backup quarterback's Brian Horner. And, of course, they're not going to bench him. But they have no long-term plan. So, are they going to draft a quarterback this year? Are they going to sign a guy? I don't know. But we know historically, Belichick, he hates being in this situation. And for the last four years, in Tom Brady's older age, he had Jimmy Garoppolo as a backup plan. Then last year, when you believe whatever you want to believe, I know what I believe, that the powers that be, CC, Tom Brady to Robert Kraft, forced his hand, then now Belichick's kind of screwed. Now, again... He wouldn't bench Brady, but I think he sees the signs. Like, this is why this these little signs. And again, Brady threw three touchdowns. So this is what happens. When you're at the top of the mountain, you get nitpicked. Like, Tom Brady was so elite that it was hard for him to ever screw up. Now his screw-ups, because the team is not as good, comes in the light a little more. Now, you could argue he's still a great value because his contract's cheap. And again, I don't even, I, I don't have like... This isn't to end this with, they should cut Tom Brady at the end of the season or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. But it can't really be denied that Tom Brady is showing signs of his age. Now, slipping, uh, again, slipping would be, he's the greatest quarterback of all time, and now he's just a borderline pro bowler. So you can still win with that. But there, the problem is, the reason the Patriots are 9-4 and four, is Gronk got old fast, again, even though he had a really good game. They're playing the Dolphins, who are not good. Their defense is just eh. And I I think for the first time in a long time, like I always expect the Patriots to win the AFC. Just what I expect. They always have the one or two seed. They always host multiple playoff games. I talked about last week the arrogance of of the fan base, and they've earned it and deserve it. I would be I would be arrogant going to these games, but I'd be a little nervous mainly because just because my team's not as good. And God, Tom, terrific! I, I don't know. Now again, I, I wouldn't go to say the Patriots no chance they could win a playoff game because all of a sudden you'll do a double take and they'll be in the Super Bowl. But I, I think for the first time, probably since the second run, like there was that period between when Welker and Moss showed up and they kicked ass obviously in 07 then he tears his knee and then the next couple years when he came back from his knee 10 and 11 their team wasn't quite as good and then they reloaded they nailed on Gronk they nailed on uh, Aaron Hernandez and I was talking to a buddy today like does he deserve an RIP I don't even think you say that Uh, but that would be up for debate I'm gonna go no RIP on Aaron Hernandez Uh, but I'll tell you this I was in Philadelphia when I worked in the league Aaron Hernandez was so freaking good by like year two, it was stupid. You know, so they had a young Gronk who was like 23 years old, and they had Aaron Hernandez who was basically like a better version of Zach Ertz. And then, you know, they had Welker. They, they were really good. They had a young Edelman. Brady was in the peak of his powers. Their offensive line was still really good. They have players on – that team was stupid. I mean, that team from like 11, 12, and 13 was, to me, some of the most talented uh, Belichick teams, even though they didn't always win the Super Bowl. This team that I watch now, and you just look at them on paper, are a shell of themselves. And I wouldn't go as far to say Brady's a shell of himself. But I'm starting to see signs that he's not the same old TB12 that I consider the greatest quarterback of all time. Okay, before we get into the middle cough mailbag... Slide into my DMs, at John Middlecoff. Let's let's end on this. I woke up this morning. There was actually a report Sunday morning that John Gruden was going to fire Reggie McKenzie. Reggie McKenzie then told Jerry McDonald, one of the local beat reporters, before kickoff, Sunday, probably, you know, before 1 o'clock, that it was hogwash. He wasn't going anywhere. He didn't use the word hogwash. But he basically said it was BS, that they were connected. Then after the game, John Gruden was asked about the report. No comment. Then we woke up this morning. Reggie fired. And my first thought is, what the hell is going on? It never made any sense. Two things, because then Gruden was asked about it, and we're going to get into that one second. It made no sense to sign John Gruden to $100 million and not let him pick his, you know, his general manager coming in to the year back in January. As someone tweeted at me, it's like, Buying a million dollar home and not paying for insurance. If you're gonna go all in, and I commended Mark Davis for having the stones, the big picture understanding of he needed this rock star, and I, you know, never really bought into Gruden who said he'd coach for free. No, you wouldn't, it cost you a hundred million, but that's neither here nor there. Gruden's a capitalist and a good one. I mean, he made a lot of money. Over the last, you know, 10 plus years, a lot of cash and he's got a lot more coming to him. I mean, he's made a lot of money, but like just fire the guy and that's on Mark Davis. But today I thought was an embarrassing moment for John Gruden. He stood up there and he looked every reporter in the eye and he speaks to the fans and he claimed that he had nothing to do with it, which is a bold face lie. And then he made a comment, an all-timer, a little later in in his press conference about Jared Cook, who's actually had a really good season for the Raiders and is going to get some money as a free agent, that he hopes that the new general manager watches the tape and wants to re-sign Jared Cook. Like, listen, I'm all for coaches lying about scheme stuff, even about injuries, but to stand up there, and he said three months ago when they traded Khalil Mack when they included that second-round pick swap on, in 2020 for Mac, he claimed that he had nothing to do with it. Again, bold face lie. Then he claimed the day that he had nothing to do with Reggie McKen- McKenzie getting fired, which, again, is just... My, my, my biggest question mark with Gruden moving forward is he's a pathological liar. And he doesn't just say things while he's lying. Like, he doesn't even flinch when he's saying a lie. Like, he's driven the bus over Reggie. Then he's parked it and re- put it in uh, reverse and driven it again over Reggie. And today he opened up his press conference to basically say Reggie and him were <laughs> like almost best friends. Like, John, do, do you even, is he one of these guys that's so rich now that he's living in this bizarre world? I thought today watching the press conference, I had to wonder if I was taking crazy pills. I couldn't fathom the things he was saying. And again, he looks so serious, like he believes it. And we all know those people that are so rich, that are just so out of touch with reality. That's kind of what it feels like right now. But behind the scenes, he's a killer. And he stuck the knife in Reggie, and then he took it out, and then he put it back in, and he's been doing it for months. So to say today that he had nothing to do with it is just, an, I, 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 it left me speechless. I honestly left me speechless. I, I watch press conferences for a living. Since, I, uh, since I've been talking for a living, I've watched so many damn press conferences really in, since I've been working in football forever. I've I watched them. I, when I was advanced scouting, you watched the coordinators talk because you never knew if they were going to say something good. that might give you a hint. So I, I've been watching press conferences, getting paid to watch press conferences forever. And I've never seen anything quite like this. I, I, I would have said that him saying that he didn't know about the pick swap with the MAC trade was up there as an all-timer. But I don't think that holds a candle to him saying that it was just all Mark Davis, and he had no, he would have basically kept Reggie. Boldface lie. He'd been running a second personnel department forever, which again, it's his prerogative. He should be, but don't act like you didn't just end Reggie's Raider career. In a, and I'm not even a Reggie McKenzie truther. He should have got fired eleven months ago. But th- there's a reason, as I talked about earlier, with the broken window theory with Amari. It really speaks to Derek's mental fortitude that he's able to kind of overcome. And he's playing a lot better in just an in just a organization of dysfunction. Because that's what Gruden put on a display of the day. And Reggie McKenzie, listen, did he deserve to get fired, keep his job? I, You know, when you make seven figures, that's America. Like He's not an at-will employee. He's being paid to go away. I, I don't feel sorry for him or anything. But... In his tenure with the Raiders, he did not leak stuff. He operated with class. He never said anything to the media derogatory about any player or coach. And Gruden has consistently acted like an a-hole when it's come to Reggie McKenzie. People have texted me throughout the league on multiple press conferences like, God, what a dick. And my big takeaway today, like, what a liar. Like, are you really going to say that about a guy that we know you fired? Just the blatant lies. It's I, I. I'm starting to think that Gruden actually is not a terrible in-game coach, kind of getting his stride. But man, he's pretty fraudulent off the field. Okay, let's uh, let's end the night or day if you're listening to this, or who knows when you're listening to this. But on the Middlecoff Mailbag at John Middlecoff, slide up in those DMs, and you can ask me anything. We've had, basically everything under the sun has been asked since we've been doing this. We'll start with, uh, I think, something Mayfield. Baker's cousin, maybe. Question for the mailbag. What do you think the prospect of Derek Carr going to the Giants during the draft? With the history of Gruden moving on and creating his own team, is this out of the question? I say the Giants because they are, desperate, they are in desperate need of a quarterback. Uh, what do you think? Uh, I, I would say this. I, I've been saying over and over, I think there's a 50-50 chance of, of Derek Carr getting dealt this season, or this offseason. Now, he is playing a lot better over this last month and a half. Uh, I think he's gone now eight straight, seven or eight straight games without a pick. Now, the last three or four he's been playing, and I mean, these games are pretty meaningless. Uh, they have not been playing good defenses. He looked terrible against the Niners, you know, three weeks ago, but he has put up good stats the last couple weeks. Uh, that being said, like I know for a fact Gruden tried to trade him during the trade deadline. And if they would have got a first, he would have traded him. Now, he said that's not true. And as we know, and as you just hit on, he's a liar. Uh, I would say they would be very much in the mix if he is open to trading him. The problem for them, like they're not giving up their first round pick for him. Would Gruden take two seconds? Probably not. Would he take their second and maybe a first round pick the next year? Maybe uh, that—that's that, the only thing I'd say. It'd be a little complicated. Is just, you know, I, I don't know if he could pull it off. Uh, but I—but I do think that Gruden is going to be open to trading him. And if anything, he's only increased his trade value, assuming that Gruden likes Dwayne Haskins. Because if he likes Dwayne Haskins, I could see him taking him, you know, with the number two overall pick. Uh, hey, John. Regular listener here from New Zealand, I see ya. As a diehard Vikings fan, it's interesting to hear John D. Filippo's name being thrown around as a potential replacement for Mike McCarthy in Green Bay. Now, I'm a bit more patient than most Viking fans are with Flip. First year OC plus new quarterback. But if you tune into the Vikings talkback and real social media comments after we lose, many fans are calling for Flip to lose his job. One team's trash, another team's treasure. Clearly it's not working out right now. Uh, I've said over and over, I, like, I know Flip. I mean, he's a buddy. He's a friend. Uh, I'm rooting for him. But McCarthy made, or excuse me, Zimmer made some comments that after this Monday night game, and this question was actually before the Monday night game, but it's pretty perfect right now, that yeah, we should have done a better job in some of the short yardage situations, but we also could have made some better play calls. That's two straight weeks he's taking shots at Flip. I would say that Zimmer is of the old school mentality. Like, Parcells used to do that stuff all the time. So, Zimmer doing that is not that crazy. Though, even the old school guys know that you got to be a little careful with how it can kind of snowball. I I think that, I I, at least Flip loves Zimmer. I mean, they're similar old school guys now. I haven't talked to him a lot in the last three or four weeks. Uh, So, just from social media, I'd be shocked if they fire him uh you usually give the guy two years you know you saw it with Kyle Shanahan in Atlanta him and Matt Ryan were not very good that first year in the second year they were much better when you look at Minnesota you'd say well Kirk Cousins to me has actually been pretty solid this year their vik the the defense let him down these last couple weeks the offense has not played well their offensive line stinks they can't run the ball in critical situations and Cousins just doesn't quite pull the trigger on some big plays down the stretch. Now, I would say the last two weeks, they played at New England and then at Seattle. I mean, those are pretty tough games. How many teams are going to Foxborough and winning? Uh, The Chiefs aren't. You know, the Vikings aren't. How many teams are going to Seattle and winning? Not many teams this year. So it'd be one thing to me if you're losing to crappy teams, and they did lose to the Bills earlier this season. But, you know... This was a bad loss in the sense that these games are important, but how, how many teams are rolling into Seattle on Monday Night Football and winning that game? How many teams are rolling into Foxborough and beating New England? The, the answer is not many. So I, I do think we have to put it into context a little bit, but man, their, their offensive line just sucks. There's There's no getting around that. It is the Achilles heel of the team, and it's the reason that they're not as good as they should be. My question is, are the Eagles more likely to win? This is before the Dallas game. So the question was, are they more likely to win the NFC East or win the wild card? Clearly, they're not winning the NFC East. But I do think after you saw tonight, the Minnesota Vikings are now, uh, what are they, 500. And you have several teams. Carolina's kind of in shambles. Uh, let me pull up the standings really quick. You know, Carolina's in, in major shambles. They, they've lost five games in a row. You have uh, the Eagles are to me very much alive. okay, I pulled it up here. The Eagles are six and seven. The Redskins are six and seven. Obviously those two six and sevens are not equal. The Redskins are done with Mark Sanchez. The Minnesota Vikings are six six and one. So if the Eagles went out they can get to nine and seven. If the Vikings went out, they would be nine, six and one. So the, the Vikings control their own destiny. Uh, The Eagles do not control their own destiny and the Redskins, I mean, obviously don't control their own destiny because they have Mark Sanchez, Seattle's in, and Carolina, you know, holding on for dear life. The crazy thing is, is the Packers are sneaky, not dead yet. Right now, uh, looking at their schedule, so Philly plays, they actually got a sneaky hard schedule. They go to the Rams, then they get the Texans at home and then the Redskins at the Redskins that final week. But those next, I mean, you're getting the Rams off a pretty tough loss. That's going to be really hard. to. You're going to go to L.A. and win that game? I don't know, man. Carolina, they're 6-7. and seven. I know they play the Saints. They Yeah, they play the Saints this week, then the Falcons, then the Saints. See you, Ron Rivera. <laughs> That's uh, no chance there. And then what was the other team? Minnesota. So Minnesota, who controls their own destiny, they get the Dolphins this week at home. Now, you'd say the Dolphins beat them with the Miami Miracle, the Patriots that last week in Miami, but the, the Vikings should win that game. Then you got the Lions, then you got the Bears, and who knows, maybe the Bears have that third seed wrapped up and they rest some guys. It's not inconceivable Minnesota runs the table, but I definitely think they win the next two weeks. First the Dolphins, and then at the Lions. So right now, I, I'd say if I was handicapping this, I'd have Minnesota as the sixth seed, and probably Philly would end up being the seventh seed and misses the playoffs. Uh, hey, John, talked a few weeks ago. Oh, hey, John, you talked about him a few weeks ago, but what are your thoughts about Jake Fromm as an NFL prospect after the Bama game? As a huge Pats fan, I'd love to see them get him next year and have him sit behind Brady for a year. He was excellent in that game, and, you know, the bowl game this year will be big, and then next year will be big. I'd say right now, he sure as hell looks like a first-round pick. Uh, The the Bama game, he was playing at an elite level against an elite team in an elite environment. Like, it just doesn't get any better than that. So, I've seen him a couple other times. I wasn't as impressed, but it doesn't take Bill Walsh, if you watch the SEC Championship game, to go, God, this kid's a player. And there's a reason he's beat out that number one guy for the majority of the year, even though that guy's a five-star and runs around like Russell Wilson meets Kyler Murray. So, yeah, I mean, it was I was blown away. He, he was excellent. Now, you might say that was one of the best games he's ever played. Well, that's a good thing. If the best games you've ever played against the best team you're going to play in, you know, arguably the second biggest game you've ever played in, beside the national championship game last year, I give you credit. Uh, he, he was fantastic. You know, he doesn't have a great arm, but he's definitely pretty accurate. He's, he's un, kind of unflappable. He's been well coached. He plays with a bunch of NFL guys. And I thought in that game, more than in previous games, and definitely last year when they could just rely on Sony and Chubb, he carried them. He threw the ball. And that was my issue with the, uh, you know, with the fake punt. It's like your quarterback's been humming. If you're going to go for it, just leave the offense on the field, spread them out, and throw the ball. I thought that that was a major mistake. Uh, Let's get to one more. The Dallas Cowboys are built like the Seattle team that won the Super Bowl in 2013 beside the quarterback. Now, don't forget, Russell wasn't that great back then. Tough defensive lines, athletic linebackers, and a very good secondary. Dallas secondary is obviously not as good as the Legion of Boom. Not a great receiving corps, but solid. An elite run game with Zeke, kind of like Marshawn with Seattle. Seattle dominated that Super Bowl and the Cowboys are fighting to make the playoffs right now. This shows that Dak is not a franchise quarterback like Russell Wilson and is keeping the Cowboys from reaching their potential. And he should be replaced in this upcoming draft, thoughts. Man, that's a Dak hater right there. I agree, Dak's a little flawed. He misses some big-time throws early in games. He's consistently done that, throwed some early picks. But I will give him credit. In the last several weeks, he has been locked and loaded in the second half. I don't have the stats in front of me. I have Amari stats, which have been fantastic. And you watch that Dallas Eagle game. Dak and Amari was incredible in the fourth quarter. But I've always, at least this year, and definitely the second half of the year, I have confidence down the stretch with Dak in the game. With Dak making plays down in a tie game, especially at home, I would say I'm not into paying Dak seven figures this offseason, I would much more be more comfortable extending Amari and then waiting next year to pay Dak. But if he wins a playoff game or two, it'll be hard to deny him. But I will give him his due. He was really good in the Philly game when it mattered the most. He was really good on the Thanksgiving game when it mattered the most. He was, I wouldn't say he didn't do much in the Saints game, but that was a knockdown drag. Neither did Drew Brees. So I, I'm not as down on Dak as the down on Dak people are, just because I, I think there's something to be said about a quarterback that is cool, calm, and collected in the biggest moments in the game. Like, I, I can live with you throwing a shitty pick in the first quarter, you know, but do you lock in in the fourth quarter when it's nut-cutting time? And I got to give the kid credit. That kid, I mean, he's 25 years old. Uh, actually, he might even be older than that because he was a fifth-year senior in college. But he, I, I, I have faith in him. And I don't give my faith out very quickly or easily. Uh, Thanks for listening. Uh, The Cowboys are rolling. But uh, appreciate everyone listening. Thanks again. Uh, Army, Navy, my bad. And uh, have a good week. I'll see you again on Friday. with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash credit card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash cash. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based, live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service, any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.